checking on his stick. We are chicken on a stick. Welcome back to another episode. Welcome, welcome. This week's episode was my choice. Yeah. And it is a movie that neither of us had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I recently purchased a Steelbook Blu-ray uh, Ultra 4K whatever copy of it. And it's a movie I've wanted to see for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never got around to seeing it until now. And... It's pretty, I don't know if I'd say legendary. It's, it's fairly well-known, well known, mm-hmm. fairly popular. Um, and that's 1955's Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Uh, which is an American coming-of-age romantic drama film about some confused teenagers in suburbia classic yeah so we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment well i don't see what's so bad about taking a little drink you don't no i i definitely he's a minor mr stark and it looks to me like he had more than a little drink don't hum dear i got loose pretty good in my day too oh really frank when was that can't you wait till we get home how about you jim got anything to say for yourself not interested, huh? Can't you answer? What's the matter with you, anyhow? He's just loaded, honey. I was talking to Jim. Well, I'd uh, like to just explain. You see, we just moved here, you understand? And the uh, kid hasn't got any friends. You understand? Hey, well, and we moved into it. Will you hold it, Jim? Tell him, I, tell him, man, why we moved here. Will you hold it? You can't protect me. Do you mind if I try? Do you, do you have to slam the door in my face? <laughs> I try to get to him. What happens? Don't I buy everything you want? A, a bicycle? You get a bicycle. A car? You buy me many things. No, no. no. Well, not just buy. Him. We give you love and affection, don't we? Well, well, then what is it? Was it because we went to that party? Well, you know what kind of drunken brawls those kind of parties turn into. It's not a place for kids. A minute ago, you said you didn't care if he drinks. He said a little drink. You're tearing me apart! What? You, you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again! That's a fine way to behave! Well, you know who he takes after. So Rebel Without a Cause, from 1955, Mm -hmm. is a movie, I guess it's easy to say, made famous, or mostly nowadays well-known for its lead actor, James Dean. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's a good-looking man. Uh, James Dean starred in three big films in ni- between 1954 and 1955 before he tragically died in a car accident the very same year that this film and his final film, mm-hmm. Giant, came out. So tragic. Um, this movie was released... I. I want to say, like, I think it was October something. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was later in the year. 
and he had yes yeah, so it was released october 27th of 1955 and he had died in september 30th 1955 which is crazy so almost a month before this film was released and then even longer before giant was released so young and so talented just those stories are so heartbreaking he was 24 years old and uh basically not to kind of dwell on just james dean himself because there's a lot to you can dive into and a lot to dissect and talk Mm -hmm. about with james dean as a as a person um and that's not exactly what we're here for but basically he was driving a car um that day Mm -hmm. with a passenger and they were going down a street and according to the other guy who survived the accident they saw this car coming and james dean made a comment along the lines of like they see us surely they'll stop right and they did not alas they did not um so he died he he died uh basically just right away more more or less right away from the crash uh, very unfortunate. He was only 24 years old, and he could have potentially gone on to be, you know, huge. Um, oh, for sure. His death, it's hard not to say that his death, so young and being talented, does sort of propel him to a higher status yeah. almost it, it, like a not really folklore but James De- like I've known James Dean without ever having seen anything yeah. with James Dean exactly and it's because he just had this this look and things that people fell in love with in, mm-hmm. in 1955 when these movies were coming out and it has kind of stood the test of time you'll always find posters or images oh, yeah. Of him from Rebel, where he's wearing his red uh, jacket that he's got on and just looking like a cool dude. Yeah, there's a, a really, really famous um, painting. I forget who does it, but it's like, I mean, so many people had, like, their parents had it in their house in, like, a game room growing up where it's that, that I think my parents even wanted to get it at one point, but it's that classic picture. Did you ever see? It's like a diner. You're looking in the diner, and it's Marilyn Monroe and James. Oh yeah, Dean. And he's there. Yeah, yeah, leaning up against the, the thing. Like the jukebox. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one more thing that's kind of of note to really talk about as far as James Dean goes, uh, and I recently learned this while kind of listening to some people talk about James Dean and kind mm-hmm. of rebel without a cause, is that James Dean was uh, bisexual from all accounts. Yeah, I had no he, idea about that. In his early Hollywood days and times that he spent in New York, he had had relationships with both men and women. Um, and a lot of people will tell you that Rebel Without a Cause is got a lot of undertones of mm-hmm. his sexuality and bisexuality in it uh, between his character and another character yeah. um, named John or, or Plato, as they call him throughout the movie. And I suppose that that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting to think of in 1955 what that would have been like. I mean, 
people now are still shitty. I, I mean, people to this day yeah. still are like, buy's not a real thing. Yeah. All the time. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like, that's just insane that you want to tell somebody else that what they think isn't real. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that a dad, a dad in like the 1950s, if his kid told them that they were bi, he would be like, go take a lap around the yard. You feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Take a lap around the yard. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Um, So again, yeah, we won't dwell on that too much because I... I don't know his life well enough off the top of my head right. or, or did enough research to really tell you all of the things he went through. But his story is interesting coming from basically a farm town, middle of nowhere to becoming an actor and getting into uh, the actors. What's it called? The actor's studio? The, the whatever, famous school or whatever. And he got in on his first audition in which other famous actors it took them more than one audition to get in there right uh but we'll move on so the movie there's really three main stars to this it's james dean in the titular role uh not even titular role but in the the main role Mm -hmm. natalie wood and sal minio um the film is directed by nicholas ray and just a fun little thing, because he's in the movie, his character's not important. Mm-hmm. I think he has, like, one line of dialogue in, in the entire movie. Dennis Hopper is in this movie. Did not know that. I did not either. And then I saw him and I went, hey, that's Dennis yeah. Hopper. And if you blink, you'll miss him. <laughs> no, he's in it a lot, but he just literally doesn't speak, so, except, I think, once. If you hadn't pointed it out, I would not, I would not have... Him at all. If you don't know what Dennis Hopper looks like, it, it'd be easy not to recognize him. But well, he's I don't know a, what he looked like in the fifties. He has a very distinct face. It's not that different. I guess. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so we'll kind of talk a little bit more about Natalie Wood and Sal Minio uh, maybe later on as their characters are kind of introduced because this movie definitely cursed. <laughs> yes. At least for the the three main yeah. stars, this movie cursed. Yeah, just cursed. We've come to that conclusion. It's cursed. Yes, it is cursed. <laughs> so Rebel Without a Cause opens up with James Dean's character just walking in, it, like on a sidewalk or in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm not even really sure what the hell's going on in this opening scene while credits kind of roll, but he just. Lays down in the middle of the street playing with one of those symbol monkey toys. Those, like, monkeys that clang together or whatever. And then lays it on its side. Puts, like, a a ripped up newspaper over it. Like a blanket and a pillow. And then lays, just, like, also falls asleep next to it on the street. What? (laughs) It is just a strange... Weird opening, I think. It is a very strange opening, but it's also kind of funny. And, I mean, you do... I feel like I immediately got the idea that he was, like, you know, on something or tipsy or whatever just by the way that he's carrying himself. Yeah. Um, We do see that he gets... The cops come and get him. Mm -hmm. Uh, They bring him into the police station for drunkenness. Drunkenness. Now... It's also worth noting in this movie, we're going to see, uh, these are supposed to be teenagers. 
Yes. James Dean uh, at the time mm-hmm. was 24, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 23. I don't exactly know when his birthday is, so he might have been 23 when he's filming this. Not a teenager. And Natalie Wood, also, similarly, not a teenager when shooting this movie. Um, don't look like teenagers. She was definitely 20-something. The only person who was a teenager for this, was, and who we'll see, and the only one who actually looks like a teenager, yes. was Sal Minio, who at the time of filming was 16. Yeah. He looks like a 16-year-old. So he, lo- he looks like a 16-year-old. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Everybody else is just like... All these... It's the problem of, like, old movies of... You're 25. You could pass for 15. Right. No, you can't. Not (laughs) really. Don't. You don't look like a teenager at all. Um, So anyway, in this police station, we meet... uh, We find out that James Dean's character's name is Jim Starks. um, Or Jim Stark, I should say. And... He's just sitting there in sort of like their lobby waiting to talk to uh, an officer, detective, whatever, captain, sergeant, something, Mm -hmm. some sort of police guy. And we see a couple other kids in there. The first one we meet is Judy. Mm -hmm. Um, She was brought in because it's early in the morning. It's like 3 a.m. or something. I, I don't remember exactly what time they say it is, but it was late. So they bring her in for breaking curfew. Right. Again, she's supposed to be a teenager. Breaking curfew. And she's talking to an officer. <laughs> and the just a weird conversation starts happening about her being upset with her father. Right. Uh, because of the way that she dresses, or the way that she is dressed currently, that he called her a dirty tramp. Which she looked very lovely, in my opinion. And she's upset about this. It upset her, so she walked out of her home late mm-hmm. at night and just started walking down the streets. Gets taken in by the police. Um, she, she very clearly gets across the point that she's upset with her father. She's angry about it. And the officer's like, how about I just call your dad? And he yeah. just takes you home. And she's like, you're not listening to me. I'm angry with him. Yeah, she she spent this entire time talking about how shitty her dad is to her, and the cops like, "There, there, lady, you're hysterical. Let's just call your dad and have him take you home." Um, while she's like crying in the corner and being upset, the officer does eventually go, "Okay, well, your mother's gonna come get you." Yeah. And then she's even upset about that. Like, why is my mother coming? I thought she said my dad was gonna come. Emotionally confused teenager. To me, confusing, weird writing. (laughs) Very weird. Cannot relate. What is a dad? How does that work? Uh, Before we move on, to talk about the curse of this movie, which I'm just going to call it a curse. I don't think anybody else considers it a curse. Mm -hmm. But it seems too coincidental that... Uh, what has happened, and you'll kind of understand. So James Dean dies very young in a tragic car accident before the movie releases. Natalie Wood makes it uh, a number of years later. She makes it to 1981. Mm -hmm. And then drowns 
out in the ocean uh, in a very bizarre story that involves Christopher Walken. Um, very random. Yeah, so basically, even to this day, she's just listed as having more or less died under mysterious circumstances at the age of 43. Um, she had been on a weekend boat to uh, an island. On board was her hus- husband, Robert Wagner, um, and also, again, Christopher Walken was there. And she just went overboard somehow. Nobody really knows all the facts or hasn't shared them or whatever. And then they couldn't find her. I feel like I read somewhere or heard somewhere, too, that it was like a real stormy night that night. So, I don't know. Um, Basically, other than the fact that she drowned, many of the circumstances are unknown. For example, it's never been determined how she entered the water. But they found her body. Yeah, they found her body uh, the next morning at 8 a.m. One mile away from where the boat was. It's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, very strange circumstances. Very strange. To say the least. I remember thinking, Christopher Walken, what? (laughs) Bizarre. Yeah. Don't go on boats. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we then get to meet uh, a third character, our third lead of this movie, who's also at the police station. Uh, but with him is a like a housekeeper, maid lady, who is sort of taking care of him. She's like, like a nanny, all, nanny maid, live-in person. Uh, yeah, I think she's just a housekeeper or something. Um, and this is Sal Minio. Um, and his character, John... Who uh, does end up eventually getting called Pluto, or not Pluto, Plato. Plato. First off, what the fuck is this character? We get introduced to him, and James, uh, James, Jim is trying to be nice by giving him, he's he's got like a blazer on, and he's like, oh, if you're cold, here, take my blazer. And he wants to give it to him, be kind of friendly in his drunkenness. And the character says no. But then he goes in and he's talking to the officers and the conversation goes So John, why'd you shoot the puppies? I I remember like just they said that and I feel like I did like a slow turn to you like what did he just say? Why did you shoot the puppies, John? Shoot the what? <laughs> so we just have a kid who sh- who straight up murdered some puppies. Just because. On his birthday. Just because. And (laughs) nowadays, um, that might bring up a number of red flags and also probably get you into a lot of trouble, I guess, in 1955. No one gave a shit. uh, Animal cruelty or whatever probably was not much of a thing. Who knows? What'd you do today, son? I shot a box of puppies. (laughs) Oh, nice. Pass the potatoes. The officer does ask if he had ever seen a psychiatrist, to which John just goes, Oh, you mean a head shrinker? Yeah, I've been to one of them. A head shrinker. Weird. Just weird, crazy. Not phased at all. Crazy stuff. Now, this character is played again by Sal Mineo. Mm -hmm. And 
to round out our cursed movie, mm-hmm. Salminio survived until 1976. Yep. He was 37. And in 1936, on February 12th, 1936. That's not right. That's not right. On February 12th of 1976, Minio returned home from a rehearsal for the play P.S. Your Cat is Dead. After parking his car in a carport below his West Hollywood apartment, he was stabbed in the heart by a mugger. Minio was found lying and bleeding profusely in the parking alley by neighbors who had heard his cries for help but he was only able to walk a few steps after which he collapsed and died immediately. That is just wild. Uh, his murderer uh, was a young pizza delivery man with a long criminal record, was convicted and sentenced in March 1979 to 57 years in prison for killing Minio and also for committing 10 robberies. Um, although there was confusion that existed about as to what witnesses saw in the dark, Williams claimed to have had no idea who Minio was. Because um, there is a lot of thought because Minio was uh, a gay man mm-hmm. that maybe this was a hate-related yeah. crime, but nobody... The story seems to be that he was literally just mugging people and kind of wrong place at the wrong time situation. Even still, 57 years, that's it. For killing someone? Uh, well, after several years... Um, oh, sorry, not that part. Um, Williams was paroled. Williams is, is his, the murderer. Right. Um, that's just the last name. He was paroled in 1990 after serving 12 years. So for so crazy. for stabbing somebody to death, uh, he did 12 years in prison. Golly. Yeah. There are people that have done a lot less for a lot more yes so we have tragic car accident violent uh random act of violence murder and then mysterious drowning to the three leads of this movie just bonkers definitely cursed i i believe that (laughs) it was something it was something um so after this, we do find that uh, Jim goes in to talk to one of the officers, and he finds he finds something that Judy had dropped. I originally thought maybe it was like a matchbox or something, but mm-hmm. it was a compact, a makeup thing. Yeah, it was a little makeup compact. Um, and he starts talking to the officer, and then his parents show up. His, mm-hmm. his father, his mother, and his father's mother, so his grandmother. Right. And... We get in this scene something that I don't know if this was famous before or has just sort of retroactively became famous or is even just completely overshadowed. But in this scene, while he's talking, his parents are kind of going back and forth his dad wants one thing. His mother wants one thing. And he says, You're tearing me apart! You I... want one thing. You want another thing. This scene feels like it should be well-known or famous. But if you say, You're tearing me apart, everyone's going to go, 
You're tearing me apart, Lisa! Because they know it from the room. Oh, The right, Tommy right, Wiseau right, right. movie, which did take this scene as inspiration for the you're tearing me apart, Lisa part. I feel like I've seen, you know, um, sometimes in the Oscars, they do, like, montages of, like, fa- like famous clips from movies throughout the decades. I feel like I've seen that in one of their, like, or a couple of their Oscar things before. Like, another one of those. There's a couple of times throughout this movie that I'm like, oh, that's what that's from. And that was definitely one of them. He just had, he just had quite the outburst. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is hilarious because, again, I didn't, I don't know if I knew this scene at all before or even after I knew the stuff with uh, the room right. because the room is so stupidly popular for being a bad movie that I knew the line of you're tearing me apart Lisa not this just you're tearing me apart part oh hi Mark <laughs> yeah that's not in this movie though hi Mark um so basically Jim went out drinking because he his parents drive him crazy and the officer takes Jim aside or asks the parents to leave the room and he starts to kind of have a heart to heart with him clearly the officer kind of wants to help Jim again nobody cares that a minor is drinking out in the middle of the night yeah. whatever and he asks uh while they're talking, Jim asks to just get locked up. Yeah. Um, and he also, we learned that he recently moved to this town from a previous town. Um, he says that he was forced to move by his parents because he roughed up a kid for calling him a chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I couldn't necessarily find any direct correlation to this, but I also don't seem to be the only person I ever thought about it. There is many times in this movie uh, particularly the first half where getting called a chicken really bothers Jim and (laughs) it just reminds me one it's kind of silly like it feels really silly in the movie Um, I don't know if maybe in the 50s again that people were just out there being like you're a chicken and that like just really pissed people off yeah um, but it just reminds me of Back to the Future because exactly. nobody calls me a chicken. Like, that was the thing that rubbed him the wrong way. Yeah, Marty McFly uh, is upset about being called a chicken, but not nearly to the level that Jim Stark mm. is upset by being called a chicken. Exactly. I, like, uh, as, soon as, as soon as they said the chicken thing, I went, okay, Marty McFly. Yeah. So, I do think that there's inspiration there to say the least if it feels like it i don't maybe there are other movies where people get upset about being called the chicken mm-hmm. i don't know but this is to me feels uh i mean and also not a hundred percent exactly how they dress or whatever but they've got a similar attitude um in like uh i'm kind of a cool cool dude yeah vibe i i keep a comb on me at all times to Slick my hair back. And and there's actually more that connects it and uh, in the sense of Jim, the way Jim 
during this scene, talks about his parents, is that he mentions that his mother makes mush out of his father. Mm -hmm. Basically saying that his father is weak, uh, basically chicken, doesn't really stick up for himself. His mother just kind of walks all over him, yada yada, whatever. Connection back to Back to the Future, the first, when we meet Marty's parents in the original timeline of the first movie, what is it? The dad is a weak little mm-hmm. nerdy chicken dude that um, that Biff just sort of walks all over. Right. He goes back in time, gets his father when he's younger, uh, gets his father to stand up for himself, then back in the present day, now his dad's like the cool dude who doesn't let people walk all over him. Right. Jim Stark wishes he had a time machine so he could make his father not Be a little man. wussy man. Yeah. The way he sees it. I will say though, I think it. I don't know. It's strange to me that he's sitting there going, oh, "Dad, you're so weak. I wish you weren't such a coward." And the dad's like, "What do you want me to do? I buy you whatever yeah. you want. I buy you everything. I'll try to help you. Let me just help you." And he's like, "Sure, you buy me things, but that's not what I need, Dad." Yeah. And it's like. Your dad seems like a cool dude to me. He's he's trying to help you. He buys you nice things. <laughs> like he what? Wants him, he wants him to be there emotionally. I mean, I I guess is that what he wants? I think he yeah. just wants a strong role model. Yeah. Is what he wants. He wants he, to see him. He's afraid to turn out like his dad, which right. he means I don't want to be a pushover in my life is what he means. Yeah. Um, which is still just kind of weird to me. Um, but the officer basically ends up just telling Jim that, uh, if you ever need something, mm-hmm. come talk to me. I'm here. Come talk to me. Don't just marinate in this stuff. Come chat to me and we'll, we'll figure out whatever it is. Yeah. Um, we cut to the next day, next morning. This movie, by the way, also takes place... Within, like, a 24-hour period, uh, give or take, Um, which is interesting. (laughs) The next morning, we see Jim head off to school. Um, Again, kind of annoyed at his parents being how they are. He leaves. Um, We see Judy outside. I did think, again, we see Judy smoking, so I thought, oh, it was a matchbox that she dropped. It was not. She just... The one time I think we see her smoking the whole movie is just... Yeah. Because that's cool, I guess. Everyone's doing it. Um, we get to see him talk to Judy. He offers to give her a ride to school because he's going he's gonna to drive a car there. He's also new. Uh, yeah. I guess when they said he just moved to town, like he really quite literally just yeah. moved to town because... He's apparently not gone to school yet uh, to meet any of these people or know anything. So he, you know, must have just got there that week or something and already had enough, already had enough of it that he's out drinking in the middle of the night. Um, While he's going to head off, we see Judy hop into a car. Uh, This is a clown car. It is full. There's like seven or eight kids in this car that probably only seats maybe five people. 
like you, they're hanging off the sides. Yeah, if you've to ever seen like an Archie comic book, like a cover that's like the little whatever they call that buggy car, and then like all of the characters were loaded in, into it, that's exactly what it looked like. Yeah, there was a lot of them, uh, including Dennis Hopper. Uh, but most importantly, including uh, Buzz, who is Judy's boyfriend, uh, or at least seemingly boyfriend, kind of reluctantly boyfriend. He, like, goes to, like, kiss her and stuff, and she's kind of not exactly yeah. reciprocating. I think it's um, just for for show. I guess. Also, I made a note when they all pull up in the that jalopy or whatever that car is. Is that what it's called? That was not a jalopy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking of. Um, but when they pulled up in that car, I, I made a note saying, oh, here's Grease Lightning. That's, that's what they, basically what they look that's like. That's what they all look like. Uh, so they get to school. Jim is not sure where he's supposed to go, what he's supposed to do. Um, he runs into Plato. Um, but the most important thing is we see on the wall that there is a field trip happening that day. Mm-hmm. And they're going to the good old Griffith's Observatory. My favorite thing to see in a movie and TV show. Which, if you listen to our La La Land episode, you'll know we've mentioned the Griffith Observatory before. Um, It is basically a kind of Hollywood staple. Mm -hmm. It's been in many different movies and TV shows and things. Um, And the reason we mentioned it in La La Land is, one, they go there... But the reason they go there in La La Land is because on one of their dates, they go to a, a theater to watch Rebel Without a Cause. Right. And when the reel breaks, they leave and they go up to Griffith Observatory. Right when they're about to kiss. And my favorite thing is anytime we see the Griffith Observatory on anything, I like to go, I've been there. Doot yeah. doot. Um, with the Griffith Observatory, there is, if you go there, there is a, uh, monument, statue, Mm -hmm. remembrance thing for James Dean, which, from what I learned, was Dean commissioned it himself, and it started to be worked on the day that he died. So he he put in money and commissioned to have it put there and then died as it was being made i don't know where in the observatory it was or maybe i just wasn't paying I think attention it's somewhere so. off in the front on the side i didn't see it when i was there but if you do go there you can go into the planetarium thing mm-hmm. and watch a star show which is yep. what they do in rebel without cause you can also go to the balcony where there's a knife fight yeah and, you know, all the other movies and stuff, you can do that too, I suppose. Right. Um, <laughs> I did mention, because I don't think we knew what... We might have known that Plato's name was John at this point, but I was just calling him Puppy Killer. I was like, oh, look, yeah. Puppy Killer's here. You freaking monster. Uh, so they go into a planetarium, or the planetarium, I think that's what they're mm-hmm. called. And... Jim, again, not really knowing people, sees the group of kids that we saw in the car earlier, including Judy, her boyfriend, and Plato, and he kind of sits in the middle, and they're all kind of watching this star show, and the guy instructing it is like, oh, you see, you see this constellation? This is Crab. Mm -hmm. You see this one? This is, uh, the Bull. And they're kind of making jokes under their breath, but the best part is when he's like, oh, and this is, uh... Taurus, the, mm-hmm. the bull. 
James Dean just goes, <laughs> just out loud, just, and like nobody laughs at it. <laughs> it's so funny because at this point in the movie, I'm like, so he's kind of like an introverted extrovert, like he's to himself, but also he's outgoing at the same time. Like he is not going out of his way to make friends, but then he makes cracks a joke in a room full of people that a class that he hasn't met before. Like, I don't know, it's, it was very ballsy, and it didn't land, I think, the way that he thought it would land. Because they kind of made fun of him rather than laugh with him. Yeah. Um, they also apparently just didn't find it funny because now they really just want to beat him up yeah. and be mean to him. Because Plato thought it was funny. Plato did find it funny, but Plato also needs friends. Yeah. <laughs> he does. I think he's he's a little bit jealous of the big popular group. Yes. But also, when you shoot puppies, you're, you're, who wants to be your friend? You're not the most popular guy in town. Um, so, after the show, they go out. We see James. Uh, I keep wanting to say James. Yeah. We see Jim kind of sitting on a ledge, overlooking at where his car is. And we see the little gang of people standing around his car. Plato tries to just tell him, like, hey, just don't, don't, they, they're, they suck. Don't be friends with them. Don't mess with them. You'll be fine. Um, he, John's still trying to be friends with Jim because he's, you know, he, he's, cool. he's a new, new guy. He, he kind of looks, he's cool. He can look up to him sort of thing. Um, and the little shit gang people take out a switchblade and stab one of his tires. Yeah. And just let let all the air out. And they're like, ha-ha, dipshit, we gotcha. Like, eye contact throughout. Like, they know that he's watching. And they're like, ah. And for some reason, the girls just, like, decide it's okay to just jump up and sit on the hood of the car. Bitch, get off my car. <laughs> the best part of this is Jim walks down there. And he's kind of giving them a, like, I don't give a shit attitude. Yeah. And he goes to his trunk and pulls out uh, what is essentially a tire iron. Yeah. It's clear he's like, I've got a spare. I'll just change my tire. Yeah. And he's going to do it. But before he can, everybody starts to call him a chicken. And he's like, what'd you say? And they're like, you heard me, chicken. And he says... You shouldn't have called me that. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have called me that. And he says that, and then like, what are you going to do about it? And he goes, nothing. I don't want to fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never, never mind. Um, so they keep antagonizing him. I think they're, they're also, it's making them more and more angry because he's not reacting the way that they want him to. Like, he's not threatened at all. Again, I feel like this is just strange writing to mm-hmm. me because they go and call him a chicken and then he goes, you shouldn't have called me that. And we know from before somebody called him a chicken and he beat the shit out of him. Yep. And now he's just like, nah, never mind. And I get it. He just doesn't want to move towns again, whatever. So he's doing what he can not to have to fight him. Still kind of weird writing decision. Um, so they're still pushing him. Buzz pulls out a switchblade. Buzz gets another one of his gang people to 
give Jim a switchblade, but yeah. Jim's like, I'm, I'm not going to touch it. I'm yeah. refusing to do it. I'm not going to fight. You're not going to fight me. All the way until they've backed him into a corner, so he has no choice. Um, they do end up having a little knife fight, which is kind of hilarious because it is a very... And again, I don't know if this was maybe people in nineteen fifty in the nineteen fifties actually fought like this, or this is just how the movies maybe taking it from like stage or something right. determined that people should fight because they're in these weird low stances. They're kind of barely holding on to the side, like the bottom of the knife, yeah. and they're like doing these like wide sort of swipes at each other and little pokes and stuff. It is very it's funny. Weird. It's very funny to watch. Uh, big tough guy. Eh? Eh? Yeah, just like that. Um, Buzz does get the upper hand. Um, John tries to help, but they keep him out of it. During the fight, um, we do see like an officer and the guy who kind of did the planetarium thing the security see camp. it and are just like... Let them be. Boys will be boys. They'll work it out themselves. Um, Jim does manage to knock the knife out of Buzz's hand. And then he asks asks him if he wants any more. And they decide to settle it uh, that night in a race at the bluff. The bluff. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. So Jim heads home and finds his father on his knees in an apron like a very yellow feminine looking apron picking up uh basically a food tray that he like knocked over assumedly to like serve the mother or something who's in bed right and obviously for jim this is a you're so weak you're not a man dad you weakling yeah like why why are you doing this for her why are you on your hands and knees you know it's not a good look and to be fair earlier i kind of forgot to mention this when he was first talking with the police officer he literally says i wish he would just turn around and sock her one day Mm -hmm. and put her in her place yeah (laughs) very 1950s attitude of the man runs the house and Mm -hmm. the woman should be the homemaker and doing everything and in this case it's not necessarily that the roles are reversed but to his perspective the roles are reversed because the dad is uh more emotionally open Mm -hmm. i guess and doing what jim thinks is things that the mothers should do in the family yeah i feel like he said something along the lines of like she really gets on to him and I, I hope one day she gets onto him so bad that it drives him over the edge and then he, like, pops her one. Which is insane. <laughs> it's so dumb. What a what a weird thing to think. Um, we then get to cut to Judy and her home life. Right. Uh, this, again, th- these children are weird to very, me. Very, very weird. Um, her family's sitting down to, like, have dinner. And we get to see her mother and her father just looking like some normal people. And she walks up and just straight up kisses her father on the mouth. And he, like, basically puts her, pushes her back. Like, like what are you doing? Yeah, like, coils back. Like, she goes full on 
lip to lip kiss. And yeah, what what are you doing? Uh, he he says something along the lines of, um, "I've I stopped doing that with you, like some time ago. Like mm-hmm. you're basically an adult now. Yeah. We don't we shouldn't be doing this sort of thing, or we don't need to be doing this sort of thing." Right. Um, and it's just, <laughs> it's very awkward and weird, and she gets upset about it, and it's sort of confusing. Like I can't imagine any. I, I don't know how old they're supposed to be exactly, but 16, 17, 18 year old wanting to do that or feeling like unwanted or unloved because their parents aren't doing that to them anymore. It's very strange. It was very weird because she she tries to justify it like, but daddy, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that. I love you. And then she, I don't know why she takes this as wait let me try again and then she goes to kiss him on the lips again and then he slaps her in the face yeah he slaps her she runs off crying uh and the dad's just like am i doing something wrong (laughs) wrong like what the fuck is going on um so we then go back to jim and his father uh, they're having a conversation. Jim just on his whole thing about like you need to be a man. You need to stop being, being like a woman. You need to stick up for yourself and mm-hmm. stop being a pushover and whatever. And I personally think Jim's father is giving really solid advice to Jim, and he just refuses mm-hmm. to listen or respond back in any sort of rational way because he he views his father as being like a coward and a weakling. Right. Um, which is just wild to me. It's it's a, this movie is it feels it's definitely dated. Very. Uh, I guess I'll say that because the I guess the sort of morals or rebelliousness of teenagers or, or confused emotionally or whatever just all these years, <laughs> seventy years later, just feels. Like, I'm confused by what the writing right. the writing for these characters is. A lot of it is very hard to put yourself in their shoes. Um, he is also asking his dad about, like, if somebody called you, called you a chicken, what would you do, Dad? And he was just like, I don't know. I don't think I'd let it get to me. Yeah. And he's like, but, Dad, you gotta make a choice. And he's like, but, like, why, why are they called, Why? And basically, he's just asking, like, I don't know what to do. Should I go to the bluff? Should I do this thing? And his dad's just like, well, I I think there's probably more to it than just a yes or no. It uh, doesn't matter. Jim leaves anyway. I feel he go- like he said, doesn't he say something about, like, well, what about your honor? Like, Oh, yeah, something about. Yeah, his, when his dad's like, I don't really care if someone calls me a chicken. Well, it's about honor. Yeah, really goofy, silly and I'm, stuff. I'm pretty sure the dad's still like, even then, I don't really think I care. Yeah. Uh, so Jim goes out that night anyway. He he-, he heads to the bluff. Um, we get to see all these teenagers are there in the cars. They stole two cars to use for this race that they're doing. Right. Uh, Plato's there. Judy's there. Uh, the Dennis Hopper's team. there. Everybody else is there. Um, they've all got dumb names like Cracker and and whatever (laughs) that's the only one i could think of really dumb nicknames uh buzz pulls jim aside 
and they kind of have a one to one and buzz is like you know i actually like you yeah. like even though we're doing this let me explain to you what we got to do we're gonna drive down towards this cliff and then whoever jumps out first is a coward but you know don't think anything of it i actually i'm starting to like you because you s- stood up for yourself which at that point i don't understand why they just can't like Let's just crack a beer open and cheers and call this whole thing off. Yeah, so they they, they get into the, their separate cars. It's also good to note, too, that for all of the other kids that are attending, this is, like, some sort of, like, wash party because everyone's got burgers in their hands and, like, fountain drinks. Like, everyone's just, like, chilling out, eating a burger like they're getting ready to watch a... It's a big event. It's a, yeah. Um... As they're going to race, Judy comes up. She goes to Buzz's door first. She hands him a handful of dirt that he, like, rubs on his hands, I guess, is sort of grip or something, yeah. which... Do you need that to drive? I don't know. I've never... You're driving straight, also. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're not um, turn. Jim calls her over to his car. She does the same thing for him. Again, just some weird thing to... I guess he thinks Buzz is a cool dude, so he kind of wants to mimic him or whatever and be cool. He is, at this point, wearing the red jacket as well that we'll see the rest of the movie, His, uh, his the look that he's known for in this. I think it was also a, a chance for him to, you know, get Judy over there and kind of, like, make eyes at each other a little bit. Like, yeah, why don't you... It's silly. Give me some attention, too, huh? It's silly, is what it is. Um... So, Judy goes off, and she's like the flag girl. She kind of waves them off to start racing. They start off racing. Again, they're just going straight to a cliff. Just to a sheer cliff that just goes right into, like, rocks in the water. And the first one to jump. And it's it's a fun little race. There is kind of back and forth. You're looking at both of them, looking at each other, like, Mm -hmm. who's going to jump? Who's going to jump? And we see Jim roll out of the car. So, Jim jumps first. And then we... Go back to Buzz, who's like, haha, I win. And he goes to open his door, but his leather jacket has like a little... Like a little loop. Loop arm strap thing on it that he's gotten stuck, I think, in the door knob I, handle? Yeah, it's either the door knob handle or like... I don't think it's a roll down for the window because it, it's just straight and it doesn't look like it would crank. Oh, yeah, yeah. Either yeah. way, that should be... One, if it is the handle to open the door all he'd have to do is pull his arm a little and be then he could push so he could get out of it if it was the window roll down thing roll it a little bit and you can get out of it it is a little too goofy that he can't get out of this but buzz gets stuck in the car the car goes over the cliff doesn't try to hit his brakes buzz is dead Buzz is dead. Buzz dies. He goes over the cliff and dies. He goes, kaboom. Uh, Everybody races to the cliff to kind of look over it. uh, And then decides, like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. And everybody, like, runs and panics. Judy seems in shock, but also weirdly unresponsive to her boyfriend just plummeting off a cliff to his death. death. Yeah. She... Is it almost seems like a a fifty fifty of oh no this is terrible and woo I'm relieved yeah it, that it's guy's weird. gone um, but Jim takes takes Judy and Plato and gets out of there he drives back to his home well the the funny thing too is Jim Jim walks up after like 
launching himself out of his car, he rolled off, you know, into the bushes or whatever. And so he's kind of Oh, yeah, he's like, where's Buzz? He's the last person to walk up, and, like, everyone's looking over the cliff, and he's like, hey, okay, cool, where's Buzz? Where'd he go? Is he here yet? And they're like, oh, he's he's down there. He he did not get out. (laughs) He's down there. Um, So when they get back, Judy gets out of the car. Jim hands her her little compact makeup thing again uh, that she left at the police station. Uh, she goes home and sees her parents, who are asleep in separate beds, which is, uh, I meant to look this up, but I totally forgot. I'm assuming probably something to do with restriction. Well, either one, it was just something to be like, haha, her parents are kind of prudes. That's why they're not emotional towards her. Mm-hmm. Or it was, at the time codes for like films that you couldn't show two people sleeping in the same bed right like how i love lucy their beds had to be separate separate. yeah 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 yeah, exactly um anyway it's still just kind of funny also her dad's pajamas you pointed this out his pants are pulled like up up to Mm -hmm. the middle of his stomach and his shirt is tucked in tucked in to go to sleep in they're silk pajamas and they're just they're tucked in and the the mom is wearing like something that like goes all the way up her neck and all the way down her her arms. Yeah, very old tiny people. It's funny. Um, Jim gets home, uh, but before this, Plato asks like, "Hey, you know, why don't you come hang out with me? I know this this like mansion that's deserted. We could go hang out there. Nobody would have to know." And Jim's like, mm, "Pass." Yeah. Uh, Jim goes inside. And his dad is asleep in his, like, lazy boy recliner chair thing. And he wakes him up, and both of his parents are basically... were worried about where was he, what happened, because they see the news that there was an accident and some kid had died in a car accident. They were worried it was Jim. Um, And he does admit to being involved in the accident in the sense of he was there when it happened. And he now has a whole sort of breakdown of, like, I want to do what's right and go to the police and tell them what happened and blah, blah, blah. And his parents are just like, how about, no, don't do do that. that. Just, like, it's good that you want to do the right thing, but maybe don't rush to conclusions to be like, it was my fault, I did it. Because, one, you didn't actually do it. Right. You just happened to be there. Um, and I think the mom makes a point, like, well, if you go and do that, but none of the other kids are going to come forward, that all of it's going to fall on you. Yeah, and there's a whole back and forth where he's trying to get his dad to sort of support him and back him for doing the right thing. And and at this point, I do sort of agree with him that maybe he should have he should just do the right thing, or at least he knows to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But again, his parents are just trying to protect him. Um, he's trying to get his dad to stand up to his mother again, uh, and the mother asks him a question, and he was he goes, "Answer her, dad." <laughs> it's like, but she asked you a question, yeah. not your father. What? Um, the mother has a great line here that she just throws out randomly. She just throws out, "I almost died giving birth to you." <laughs> like, okay. That I thought that was so hilarious. What a good thing to. Throat, put yeah. on your child yeah. how dare you 
don't don't turn yourself in. I almost died bringing you into this world. So funny. Um, Jim does. He also almost chokes his father out at this point. He like attacks his dad and starts choking him, which also seems like an overreaction to everything that's going on. Just a little bit. Uh, but Jim eventually leaves, and he does go to the police. Um, and <laughs> the best part is when he's leaving the house, he also kicks this random painting that's on the floor. Yeah, that was He really just dramatic. kicks a hole into it and then leaves, which is wild. Um, it, it's showing that he's still a little... He's still a kid inside. Like, he's throwing basically a temper tantrum at times. That is what he's doing, yeah. yeah. Um, while he's going to the police station, we do see three of the main like gang member people that we've seen coming out of the police station. And they sort of talk to Jim for a second. Basically, they seem afraid that he's going to say something that's like going to incriminate everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly to stealing the cars mm-hmm. and and then they'd get in trouble that sort of thing so they want to stop him from doing that but he still goes inside and they realize they can't go inside and do anything because there's the police so they just leave when he's in the police uh headquarters or building whatever there's a couple officers like behind the desk and he's like hey is the the, the detective here and they say no he's he's out on a case or whatever and he's like okay well can I wait for him? They're like, no, no, no. They're basically just trying, like, ignoring him. Yeah, they're blowing him off. Uh, which is just leading to more of his, I don't know, being upset at the world, I guess. Yeah, no one's taking me seriously. Um, so he decides to make a phone call. He calls Judy's house. Again, it's relatively late at night. It's at least nighttime, we know that. I don't think we know an exact time. Um, the father answers, and the father just is like, yeah, who, who's calling for her? Jim? I don't know any Jim. And then just hangs up on him. (laughs) I don't know you. Which is hilarious. Which is funny. Um, And and we do see that she can, she heard that. Yeah, she heard that. From her room. So she kind of smiles a little bit to herself that he reached out. So as Jim's going home, he runs into Judy. And Judy, they start talking a little bit, um, and she apologizes to him for some of the things she said and done when she was with uh, Buzz and the other guys, which is kind of weird because I feel like she didn't really say or do anything that bad to him. <laughs> yeah, but she didn't say anything, like, like she didn't tell them to knock it off. Yeah. I feel like. She didn't stand, she didn't go out of her way to stand up for him. And while they're having this whole thing, he just randomly kisses her on the forehead uh, because he just felt like doing so. Why'd you do that? I felt like it. Um, <laughs> which is, again, just a very weird situation going on, it's but a, it's kind of it's, it's cute, cute, I guess. It's cute, and his mannerisms are really cute when he's around her, too, because they're kind of bashful and coy, but also a little daring at times yeah very very cute little mix uh so the gang members are out on the town trying to figure out where jim might be so they can go get him they see plato 
and they jump him. They just jump him, mm-hmm. thinking he's going to know where Jim is. They kind of beat him up. He does drop this little, like, notebook. Um, and the notebook is where, where he's been writing down, like, information about people, including their address. So they get Jim's address from it. And Plato runs into his house upstairs, again, in this big house. His family's rich, but his parents aren't there. Goes upstairs takes a pillow off of his bed, grabs a gun that he had, and leaves. And his housekeeper lady is just like, John, what are you doing? No, John, no. don't do it. Don't shoot any more puppies, John. And he's just like, ah. Um, <laughs> we go back to Jim's house, and there's some commotion outside, and Jim's mother's like, ah, Dad, go, go take a look. Figure it out. What, what's going on? And he goes downstairs, and there's nothing there, and there's a door. So he goes to look at the door, and when he opens the door, hanging from the door frame, or just above the door frame, is a chicken. Not not dead, just hanging by its feet. And we see the three gangsters are, like, sitting in a tree in the yard, like where's jim and they're like he's not here and they're like well tell us where he is they're trying to be like intimidating and both the parents are just like weirded out by it so they shut the door to go like try and find jim and then when they shut the door the gangsters kind of take off one of them does cut the chicken down at least takes it with him i think it's just so it's, it's so weird that they've just nailed a chicken to the door to call him a chicken like do you think that's going to help your situation Seriously. at all? Like, and they don't care that they're trying to intimidate the parents? Um, I'd be like, you little shit, get off my lawn. While the parents are kind of looking for Jim, they're kind of walking through the house being like, Jim, Jim, where are you? John shows up looking for Jim, and they're like, who, who are you? Well, yeah. I don't know where he is. And John just goes, I think I might know where he's at. And he takes off. So the parents just, the parents call the police, which is the reasonable thing to do. Yeah. We see that Judy and Jim are actually at the abandoned house that John told Jim about earlier. Mm-hmm. He's taken her up to this, like, abandoned mansion. And they go inside, and they're just kind of looking around, and then John shows up. Right. So they let John inside. And then they start to just, like, act like normal sort of teenage kids. They're sort of playing around, having fun. They're, Jim and Judy are sort of acting like a newlywed couple who's looking at this house to potentially buy. Right. And John's being a real estate agent who's telling him about, like, how big the mansion is and are you planning on having kids mm-hmm. and there's, like, this pool and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And it's, like, a fun, lighthearted moment mm-hmm. of just three people who've made friends having fun together. Yeah. Just joshing around and we're seeing that... Jim, you know, is putting his arm around her, and they're getting a lot closer and being really flirty. Very cute. Um, During all this, we do get some backstory on John. Uh, We do learn that basically um, he's seen a number of psychiatrists who don't know what's wrong with him, and that his mother left his father and went off to Hawaii, um... Or maybe the father left the mother. Whichever way it is. The mother ended up just going to Hawaii for whatever reason. 
And the father has basically abandoned the family altogether. Which is why he lives alone with, like, a housekeeper. Right. Seems kind of wild. But I guess when your son is shooting puppies, I would maybe also abandon them. <laughs> I, I don't know. I would also not want to be around them. It's very, it's very strange. Very strange. But you, you're also kind of peeling back the onion on him a little bit, seeing why he, you know, desperately wants to have friends and be included in things is because he does feel abandoned and lonely. Yeah. So while they're all just hanging out, playing around, uh, John basically falls asleep on the floor, um, and Jim and Judy leave. They leave him to sleep, and they go off on their own to explore. Quote-unquote explore. Uh, and while they do that, the gang members show up. Uh, we see Judy tell Jim that she's in love with him. Mm-hmm. She just, my boyfriend died three hours ago, but I love you. I love you. I know we met, yes, this morning <laughs> for the first time, but I love you. I thought that was hilarious. The passage of time in this movie is wild. It is wild. You just watched your boyfriend plummet to his death. Hours ago, but you're already in love with a guy you only met that morning. Yeah. It's very strange. Um, they do end up kissing. A very old-timey movie kiss. That old, old Hollywood kiss where they just smush their faces together and wiggle around. Um, the, the gang wakes up John, and they're asking John, like, where's Jim at and everything, and then John starts to kind of fight them off. They kind of have a... They're running around the pool, throwing things. He's hitting them with stuff. John's putting up quite a fight. Yeah. Uh, holding them off. Holding off three people. He does eventually get inside and is trying to hide from them. And this is where he, he pulls out a gun hiding under, like, a piano or a table or something. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, the greatest hiding spot ever. But there are no lights on and it's the middle of the night. So people don't really see him anyway. Sure. Um, while all that's happening, we do see that since the parents had called the police, some police have drove by and they've spotted the car. So the police, there are a couple, uh, officers who are there who have shown up and they're going inside to try and find anyone. Um, John at this point tries to like move out of the space he's in. He's trying to find Judy and Jim mm-hmm. and he gets to, like, a door, and he's trying to get in, because that's where they're at. And he's like, "Why? let me in, let me in, let me in. And one of the gangsters is coming down, like, a staircase and sees him. And John turns and shoots him. Yeah. So he shoots one of the kids. Uh, and then Jim opens the door and is like, what are you doing? What happened? We didn't abandon you. Get in here. Yeah, and you're like, oh, shit. Um... He then blames... John then blames Jim for leaving him alone. Mm-hmm. And the cops see John. And he even shoots at the police while trying to run away. Which... Not a smart idea. Horrible idea. Um, Jim and Judy chase after him. They're going after John to try and help him... Stop him from freaking out. And John basically runs through the woods. Again, he's running from police. The police are chasing him. Judy and Jim are chasing after them. Um... The gangsters are basically out of the story at this point. One of their friends just got shot. How many people can you lose in one night before you go, you know what, maybe we should change our life. I'm going to go home and watch TV, you know? Yeah. I think I'm going to call this a day. Um, So through the woods, 
they get back to the Griffith Griffith Observatory, and John breaks into the observatory. Um, and all the police show up. We do see Jim's parents are with the detective, and they get a call over the radio, and he's so he's going to head there with them. Uh, they're not sure if it's Jim or not, but they figure, look, we got to go take this anyway, so you're just going to have to come along. Um, Jim and Judy break into the observatory. Um, the police do kind of see them, like, running in there, but they can't stop them, so they get in anyway. They're basically just trying to get to John before the cops do. Right. Like, they're trying to get in between them and get this to stop before it escalates further. Because killing one person is not too... And shooting at the police is not too far of an escalation. Um, So they get into the planetarium thing. I... At least I think that's what it's called. I've called it that the whole time. It's been a long time since I've been to one of these things. Planetarium. Um, Jim goes in there and he confronts John. And they're kind of talking. And he's like, look, we didn't leave you. I promise we weren't going to abandon you. We were just looking around while you were asleep. And he kind of lulls John into feeling safe and secure. He gives John his red jacket. He's like, here, take this. Let me. Can I see the gun for a second? Mm-hmm. And he does manage to get the gun from John. And very quickly, when John's like zipping up the jacket, he unloads the magazine from the gun, puts it in his pocket, hides it so that he doesn't have bullets left, and then gives the gun back to John. Right. Because John asks for it back. Yeah. He said, "I'm just gonna hold it for one quick second. And you know, he's he's definitely now talking to John more in a not, I mean, before I felt like he talked to him as like an older brother, but now I feel like he's kind of talking to him in more of like a fatherly way, um, because that's that's what we were seeing earlier is that John sees um, Judy and Jim as, you know, they can take care of me, we can all maybe be a family together kind of situation rather than he's my big bro. So I I get from this point that Jim is kind of talking to him and assuring him, you know, hey, everything's going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Just, you know, just trust us. Yeah, that's basically exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jim does talk to him and convinces him to come out of the observe uh, out of the planetarium, saying that look. We like you. Everybody likes you. No, Everybody here just wants to make sure that you're safe. Nobody is wanting to hurt you. So just come out and everything will be fine. So they start walking out. He sees Judy. Um, basically, again, kind of reassuring sort of things. Like, yeah, we like you. Everything's fine. We're going to be cool. Don't worry. They get over there. And John does bring up, like that it's too bright because the police have put spotlights on there. So Jim calls out to the detective and he's like, hey, look, we got him, but can you turn off the lights? We'll yeah. come out. Just turn the lights off. We'll be fine. So they dim the lights to show, you know, trying to be like, see, they like you. Yeah. Everything's fine. We're fine. He, um, he's John is very, he's he's kind of spiraled, I think, in his head. So he's very nervous, very on edge right now. And he's assuming that at any point, um, something bad is going to happen to him. 
So yeah. he's not trusting of anybody. He doesn't like the lights. He doesn't want too many people around. Um, and and basically, Jim is trying to get the cops to to be like, hey, we let us let us handle this. Right. You know, trust us to get him calmly out. And as they walk out, John does see that it's the police, and he he starts panicking. Like, they're not my friends. Mm -hmm. He pulls out the gun. The police see that. They turn the lights back on. Jim is trying to calm everybody down to be like, stop, stop, turn it off. It's a a good point to note, too. Did you say that already, that they told John? Because he kept saying, I've killed someone, I've killed someone. So I'm, you know, something bad is definitely going to happen to me. And didn't they reassure him, actually, you didn't kill anyone? You just, like, shot the person and they, they're still alive? Yeah, I think so. They're like, I, I feel like, uh, I can't remember if it was a cop that yelled at it or Jim said it. But someone was like, hey, you didn't kill that guy that you shot. He's at the hospital. He's going to be fine. So, like, yeah. stop thinking that you've crossed this threshold that you can't come I mean, back from. Look, you shot some puppies earlier. Well, that's true. <laughs> You're already a crazy You don't person. have a good track record, but um, at least they're trying to tell him the guy's not dead that you shot. Right. So while all this is happening, the police do turn the lights back on, and John, uh, in his sort of heightened, panicked state, tries to run, and the police shoot him. And Jim, the whole time, has been trying to yell, like, it's not loaded, it's not loaded, I have the bullets. Yeah. And when he gets shot, we I do really like this scene is is he's holding the magazine and he's mm-hmm. like, I have the bullets. Yeah. Like why did you do that? Why didn't you just like let us like calmly do it? We could have figured this out. And I had a bad feeling that something was gonna happen. I didn't know if it was gonna be John that would get shot or if maybe they were gonna try to shoot John and then Jim like was gonna block it or something. But Seeing John get shot, I, let me see my, what my note was. I wrote, "Ah, oh, come on, frowny face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, while this is happening, the, the housekeeper does show up. She starts crying and stuff because she actually cared for him. Yeah. Um, they do put, like, a little sheet over him because he's dead. And Before that, Jim does zip the jacket up for him. Jim does zip the jacket up for him to keep him warm because he was cold a few times throughout the movie. And Jim's parents come up, and <laughs> and again, the, the weirdness of the world these people live in, you're a guy you just became friends with and just clearly cared about, is almost immediately forgotten because Jim then just puts his arm around Judy, turns to his parents and goes, so this is Judy. <laughs> we, we've kissed a few times. This is Judy. Nice to meet you. Oh ya. my god. They're literally standing over this kid's dead body, and he's, they're like, so wait, wait, mom, dad, Judy, Judy, <laughs> mom, dad. Uh, and then dad promises that he's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't think the dad was particularly bad or awful in this movie. No. I think Jim just had a warped sense of, like, what masculinity, masculinity needs yeah. to be. It's, like, a very... Uh, like, toxic masculinity makes you do crazy shit, mm-hmm. and this is it. Being afraid of being a coward or thinking that people are going to think you're a chicken or a coward. Wild, the things that <laughs> it caused to spiral in this movie. Seriously. Instead of just being sort of like your dad had suggested the whole time. 
maybe just being open and listening to people and like don't get offended by dumb shit also don't give a fuck what people think about you if someone thinks you're a chicken oh well yeah but i just i love the fact that while they're having this little back and forth standing over this kid like they're smiling (laughs) like they're smiling at each other and yeah, Jim they're and, like, well, at least it wasn't me, I guess. Yeah, Jim and Judy are giving each other bedroom eyes, and there's just a dead kid there. It's a wild movie. It's fucking wild. Um, but that's the end. Everybody leaves the end. That's it. Rebel Without a Cause. Rebel Without a which Cause. Which, I guess I did not realize what exactly that could have meant. To be a rebel without a cause. Yeah. And I get it now because Jim is rebelling against sort of, uh, I guess, an, an, a feminine idea of masculinity or uh, maybe some people would say like sexuality norms, mm-hmm. like just being straight or whatever, and, and since James Dean was bisexual... Um, that there's a little bit of, like, romantic tension between him and Plato in the movie, but mm-hmm. I thought that was more of, like, a f- big brother yeah, figure, fatherly figure type thing. But he's rebelling against stuff that is, like, there's, there's real, there's no cause that he's actually for or right. anything. He's just rebelling against these ideals that he has. Uh, uh, that are particularly just dealing with his parents, that he thinks that his dad is a pushover and his mom is wearing the pants in the house and he yeah. don't he don't like it. Emasculate, is that the word emasculating him? Yeah. I want to get a, a shirt that's just got like a silhouette, like a minimalistic James Dean with the red jacket and it just says, don't call me chicken. Don't call me a chicken. <laughs> Also, I'd like to. I'd like to wonder, what happened to that chicken? Did the kid just like bring it back to his parents? <laughs> I don't house? think he took it. I think he just cut it down and let it go. At least they didn't kill it. Which is but something. <laughs> the what confused me though about, like the the, the hooligans that were trying to come after them and kill them, like why why, the race wasn't even Jim's idea. It was the, their buddy's idea. So they're mad at Jim because the other guy died, which wasn't his fault at all. Yeah, the movie is... So they're like, we're going to kill you because our friend happened to die in a game that he came up with. Yeah, I think the movie's kind of a mess. Uh, Plot, story-wise. Like, I get it that you could just say, like, these are just kids being kind of shitheads and whatever... But the stuff that's going on, and maybe it's because it's 1955 and I don't know what it was like to be alive in the 50s, but, man, the the cops don't seem to care that this, nope. one, that this kid was abandoned by his family, nope. that he shot a bunch of puppies, <laughs> that this other teenager is just out dr- getting publicly intoxicated in the middle of the night another kid is running away from home because her daddy won't kiss her anymore there's just some weird shit going on in this movie fucking weird and i understand that people look into this to have like these really deeper meanings and stuff and that's perfectly fine i just found this movie strange 
strange. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that I I finally got to see you know certain certain thing like certain references that I never knew what it came from like certain scenes. Um, I'm glad that I now got to see that for you know what it is. And I I do admit I wrote even wrote down in my notes that I I thought all, any scene that James Dean was like crying or emotional in I thought he did a great job. Yeah, he's he's a good crier. And that you're tearing me, ripping me apart scene. I love that. You're tearing me apart. You say one thing, and you (laughs) say one thing, and then you say the other things. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I I think it was really good. I'm interested in watching both East of Eden Mm -hmm. and Giant, uh, those being his other two films, because he, you know, for only starring in three movies... Uh, all within two years of each other, because I think East of Eden came out in 1954, I think. Um, it's curious that with just the three movies, he left such like an indelible yeah. mark on history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, you know, he had a lot of talent. People were thinking that he'd be like the next Brando or other things or whatever. And I can kind of see it. There are moments in oh, this movie sure. where... Similar to, like, maybe uh, other movies that I've seen with Marlon Brando in them, I can see sort of a similar acting style or something. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious to see those other movies. But this one, I've just, I've wanted to see it for a while. It ties back into the whole La La Land thing, which, again, we, we did an episode about before. That's also where we get our, our name from. And it's good to have seen. Yeah, and now if I ever go to the Griffith Observatory, I can go. I seen that movie. Yeah, that's where they knife fight. Yeah, that's where that's where John gets shot. Yeah, that's I, where he goes. Mom, Dad, Judy. Judy. Hey, that that lady. was Plato. That was hilarious. Um, the movie's crazy. It is. It's wild. But I I I definitely agree. I think that you said it early on. Um, I I honestly do feel like that had he not you know, tragically died so early on in life that he would have gone on to do so many movies. He probably would have been acting well into his old age, like a lot of the, you know, older Hollywood people. I think he would have gotten better and better and um, had a really, really successful career. So it's really unfortunate that uh, his life and career was cut short, but it is really cool that he is so cemented in, um, you know, Hollywood history i mean likely he would if he did not die in the car accident he likely probably would not have still been alive because i think he would have been a hundred and uh, roughly a hundred years old or something so he probably would have but he could have still been alive and around and doing things while we were growing up for sure you you know so yeah that's what i think i don't know It, it was an interesting movie um i i don't I really don't know what I feel about the movie because it's so... I feel like some of the writing and character writing and stuff is bad, but I don't think any of the acting is necessarily no. bad. No, I, like I just think it's got this weird story that maybe, again, because we're 70 years removed, that the whole... I, I don't want to be like my dad who seems a little bit more in touch with his emotions and okay with doing things that are gender rolled to women mm-hmm. stereotypically like 
okay, and? <laughs> like, that's cool. That's, <laughs> find other things to worry about. Yeah. Um, but I, that's Rebel Without a Cause. I think... I think it was a good pick. I'm glad I watched it. I think it's worth watching maybe once just because, again, James Dean has, like... Just his look is very recognizable and, and classic uh, and has some history in cinema. And I, I'll search out East of Eden and yeah, Giant. I, I want to watch those. He's also um, not for Rebel, but with both East of Eden and with Giant, he was the first actor to posthumously be awarded a nomination for Best Actor which was for East of Eden. Mm-hmm. And then when Giant came out, so that, that would have been the Academy Awards in 1955 was for East of Eden, which came out in 1954. 1956, he got a second nomination for his role in Giant, mm-hmm. uh, also released posthumously. And he remains the only actor to receive two posthumous nominations for an acting role. Um, because... Yeah. Obviously, it's a very set circumstance mm-hmm. that you'd have to end up in to have that happen. Right. So, could it ever happen again? Sure. Is it likely? Probably not. But I do want to see them, especially Giant, because Elizabeth Taylor's in that Elizabeth one. Taylor. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. We'll be back again next week with a Maggie pick. Yeah, my turn. Um... So, yeah, wherever you're listening to this, give a like, a comment, rating, feedback, any of that sort of stuff. Share it everywhere, all that. If you've seen the movie, leave a comment what you thought of it, or if you plan on watching it, um, let us know down below. Yeah, and you can find us everywhere at either COAS underscore podcast or Chicken on a Stick podcast on Twitch. Every Friday we do some sort of stream where we talk about a movie we saw, or Whatever random stuff we're doing. Yeah. It's a fun time. Come hang out. So, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.